0: Good morning, good to see you this morning, glad you're here, it's good to be in person and we also want to welcome our live stream crowd, we're glad you've joined us and uh, jump in the chat, say hello, I know Cody's out there in cyberspace someplace, say hello to him, but how good it is to be together and uh, worship the Lord and just great stuff. So, we are in our series, Life is a beach. And I do need to give a shout out to Harold. Didn't Harold do a great job last Sunday? So, man, we appreciate Harold. What a life's testimony and the work God has done in Harold's life. We just celebrate that with him. But life is a beach is about changing our perspectives on life. So, one of the things we're doing is we're going through the scriptures and we're just picking out a few beach scenes where God has taken his people, he's put them on a beach, but they don't even realize the beach is around them, right? Because they're so worried about something else. They're concerned about the circumstances that they don't realize everything that God is in the midst of doing. And that's the perspective we're trying to change. We're trying to help us to recognize and know what God is doing around us. So, today, our beach scene is found in Acts chapter 26 through 28. That's where we find ourselves uh, this morning and where we find the Apostle Paul along with the whole ship's crew is on a beach in the island of Malta. It's a beautiful island in the middle of the Mediterranean and, uh, and it's just a gorgeous place. Now, I do want to say in the story, uh, the island of Malta was not their desired destination. Like, it's not where they wanted to go. Uh, Their their journey had kind of been detoured or interrupted, and they ended up in Malta. and, And it wasn't even like the captain was, you know, just floating by and said, oh, there's a beautiful beach, let's stop. There actually was a huge storm that caused their ship to bust apart into a million places. So several of them swam desperately to shore to survive and then others floated on broken pieces of the ship itself. And I mean, when they landed on Malta, they did lose like all of their resources. The the crew lost all of their profit. Their plan was totally awry. And even their mode of transportation was destroyed. And, And so a lot of them, even though they were on this beautiful beach, they felt as though they were desperate. Now I do want to say the Apostle Paul never felt that way. This whole journey he's been on, and for him, it's been a two-year journey, but, but, but even that even the, even the, the ship blowing apart, like, like Paul never felt the same that everybody else did around him in their desperation. You know, because Paul understood that Malta, where they landed, wasn't a desperate situation. It was a safe haven that God provided for them. And you see that, right? In Acts chapter 28, you see all the wonderful things that happened to them when they landed on Malta. The islanders, it says, were unusually kind. They had a fire built for them that they could gather around and warm themselves up with when they came from the shipwreck. The chief official from the island welcomed them all into his home. And it is even stated that the islanders honored all of those that were a part of the shipwreck. So, I mean, you look at this and and here's Malta, like it might not have been the destination of their choice, but it did end up being like a little paradise, the eye in the middle of the storm. Like, Like, let me just point this out. For everybody who's crying and whining that they're on Malta, let me just show you a picture of Malta. Look, that's Malta. So you know what I say when everybody's there and they're whining and complaining? I say, wah, wah, wah. So what I say, because if I gotta be shipwrecked, that looks like a pretty nice place. You know, I wouldn't mind being shipwrecked on Malta. The reality is that all of us in life we're going to face storms. We're going to come upon hardships. It's just going to happen to us. Our resources in life are going to be jeopardized at points. Our plans are going to be altered. The schedule that we have lined up is going to be lost. Even our mode of transportation can be destroyed. Like we can look at our lives and say, you know, this job was supposed to take me from here to here, and now it's gone. This paycheck this, these, these savings, this, this was supposed to, and it's gone. This person was the one I was supposed to all the way through and, and somehow loss and destruction. So it's a part of the question that, that we've kind of been answering all month long, but, but especially today is, how do we, no matter where we're at on the journey, how do we still see the beach in the midst of all the storms that can come our way in life. So the Apostle Paul, there are kind of four things the Apostle Paul did, I think, that helped him keep a proper perspective about his journey and about the storms. So so here's one of the first things he did. The Apostle Paul had an ability to recognize concerns. So the Apostle Paul would, would recognize problems that laid out in front of him. And in this case, especially, he recognized the problem with even getting on the ship and taking off, right? They were in port, Uh, the time of year had gone by, it wasn't safe to travel. And the apostle Paul in verse 10 tells the centurion, who he is a prisoner of, and the captain of the ship. It says, Paul warns them, "Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo, and even to our own lives. So Paul is, is, right, he's taking a point of privilege here. He's a prisoner, right? On his way to Rome, held captive by this centurion, by the Roman government. But Paul is telling the centurion and the captain that the voyage is in trouble even before they start. Now, you know, it's always interesting how we handle people who are gifted at pointing out problems. do you ever know anybody who's gifted at pointing out problems? I happen to think that's one of my wonderful gifts. You know, you bring me a plan and I can tell you everything that's wrong with it and where it's gonna break down, right? And I mean, many of us are gifted that way. And a lot of times when I have a plan and somebody used this wonderful gift they have to tell me where it's gonna fail, I mean, one of the things that happens, I'm like, hey, don't be a problem person, be a solutions person, right? Don't bring me the problems. Bring me the solutions to what's happening. And a lot of times, people who are especially gifted with the discernment of knowing where concerns are get misinterpreted. Like sometimes this happens, right? Has this ever happened to you when you're pointing out some legitimate concerns? Well, don't be a Debbie Downer. You're just a negative Nelly. You rain on everybody's parade. Can't you just be happy Can't you just like accept what the plan is? And and here's here's the truth though. I think you can recognize problems and still have a good attitude. I think that's true. I think you can look and you can forecast out and say, well, this is a point of concern and you're gonna have to be aware of this and we're gonna have to manage this. And you can still have a good attitude about it. Or this is what we tend to do sometimes in the church when somebody has a tendency to say, "Mm, I have a concern here you don't have faith. You just need to believe. You need to have faith and your lack of faith is so discouraging to everybody. But I don't think there's anywhere in the scripture where faith is, is defined as ignoring reality. And in fact, in fact, if 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 we're pretty decent at looking at concerns, there's a lot of good things that can come from that. Right? A lot of things that can help us along the way when we're looking at concerns, like like we can get clarity about our journey. Like if we're looking at the, at, the, at the whole journey out here, we can say, ooh, I need clarity on this. Ooh, I haven't made that decision. And boy, I don't wanna be unaware of that. And I wanna be prepared for this. And right, there's a lot of clarity can, can, can come from times like that. You can gather specific wisdom. Because when you come upon a hard time, you can say, oh, now how should I manage that? And what should I do if this takes place? You can prepare yourself ahead of time with specific wisdom. You can count the cost. Right? You can say, okay, now here's all the concerns. Now, do I want to take off or do I not want to take off? Is this the direction we want to go or is this not the direction we want to go? And you can pray specifically. When you know what the concerns are, you know what it is that you need to pray about. So there's some good things that can, that can come from just being aware of possible problems that lie out there. But if you don't discern the problems, Do you know what happens? Everything and everybody becomes the problem. I mean, if we don't have discernment to say this is where the issue lies, then everybody and everything becomes the problem, right? And we kind of wander around and we kind of end up blaming this or blaming that or looking at this or looking at that. I mean, we end up, right? Sometimes even God becomes the problem. Well, you know, because we couldn't see what was out before us and the choices that we were making, then all of a sudden God could even be to blame for what it is, the path that we've decided to take. And it really, it really is helpful if we can discern the problems and the issues that we have. Because then it's not our spouse's problem or it's not our coworkers' problem or it's not our you-name-it problem if we can have the discernment to even recognize our own internal perspectives and problems, so so one of the things that, that Paul did was he just right he just was able to say hey look I'm going to tell you this isn't a good time to travel, you guys are probably aware of that it's we're going to pay we're going to pay a price if we if we take off on this trip, so first thing hey just be aware of the problems right be able to look out there and see what lays, lies ahead of you the second thing is. On the journey and in the midst of the storm, listen to prophetic truth. So you know the story. You know that the centurion decided not to listen to Paul's advice and they loaded up the ship and they set sail. All right, so they took off. He decided to not take Paul's advice. But Paul, even though he's on this ship, at a time he didn't want to be on this ship, he did not shut down. He did not get angry. He did not pout. He did not become frustrated. He did not become uncooperative. Paul continued to hear from God in the midst of it. So that when the storm came, guess what? Paul had a prophetic word because it was tuned into God. He was never like, oh, Lord, you put me in a problem here. Lord, why didn't you convince? I tried to tell them and they didn't. No, he continued to listen and he ended up with the prophetic word. Like like in verse 23, it says, last night, this is what Paul says, last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. So like Paul is still listening for prophetic truth. All right, he's still listening to what God has to say about his situation and his circumstances. I mean, I mean, God does not stop speaking. Wherever you're at on the journey, no matter how you feel about where you're at on the journey, no matter whether you like it or you don't like it, God does not stop speaking to you along the journey. And when the storm hit, Paul was prepared. In the midst of the storm, he hears the word. So this is the word that he heard. The angel of the Lord said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, right, so Paul received some prophetic truth. He received a reality about his current situation, right? God basically said, hey, Paul, We're going to Rome. That's where we're going. So don't worry about this storm. You're going to make it through this storm because you and I are going to Rome. So this is what it encouraged Paul to do, right? He had this prophetic truth, so then Paul was encouraged to be able to speak to the rest of the crew. So he tells the crew, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, you want to know honestly, like when you look at this this story of of the shipwreck, what jeopardized the cargo, the crew, and the ship was that the only element that was being considered was their strategic planning and their profit. Those are the only two things that were being considered. I mean, it says that in verse 11, right? Paul just says, hey, look, if we go, this is gonna be disastrous. There's gonna be problems out here. We're gonna pay a price. It's gonna mess with the crew. It's gonna mess with your cargo. It's gonna mess with the ship itself. Paul tells them all this. But in verse 11, right after he says it, this is what it says. But the centurion, right, who's kind of in charge of this whole kind of deal here and, and holding Paul captive. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Now, now, I don't know about you. When I read that, I was like, "That, that kind of almost makes sense to me." I mean, it makes sense to you, doesn't it? I mean, here Paul is, right? First of all, he's the prisoner. You know, and, and, and so Paul's, Paul's a prisoner, and, and, and right. although Paul represents God, right, and, 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 and they may not acknowledge it, but Paul's speaking, you know, he's speaking a word to them, but they ignore that word, and they go, look, man, here's the pilot, and here's the owner. They're the experts, right? They're the one with the plan. They're the ones that navigate. They're the ones who determine whether it's okay or it's not okay, so I'm gonna trust the experts, now, most of us would look at that and say, that makes good sense. You ought to just trust the experts. I mean, I'm gonna be, and, there, and there ought to be times you ought to trust the experts. Like, for instance, if I come over to your house and you have a plumbing problem and you have a plumber there and a the plumber is suggesting something to you and I come up with an alternative plan, I'm going to tell you now, listen to your plumber. Right? Right? I mean, right? That makes sense. Just listen to your plumber in this case. You know, but, but I mean, here's part of the issue that we do come up against. The centurion eliminated any prophetic word. He eliminated godly counsel as a part of his decision-making process. That's a huge temptation that you face in this world. Man, you do the hard work. You, You lay out your strategic plan. You think it through. You count the cost, right? You're looking at the profit calculations of what it is you desire to do. You determine the schedule. How long is it gonna be till I arrive at this destination? Whatever it is, whether it's a physical destination, an economical destination, a career destination, a relationship destination, right? You do all this work and, and you have this plan laid out. But when we are only dominated by worldly thoughts, we become deaf to God's directions. I mean, we always have We always have to make room to listen to God. I mean, how many times do we read through the scripture that, that God tells people to do things, and we're like, what? That's absolutely insane. And then God does a miracle, right? Where you're like, man, that's the opposite of what you should do. Like if, like if I was in charge of Israel when they moved into the promised land, I'm going to tell you, I probably would have got by the River Jordan, and I probably would have said, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to build some rafts, you know? And, and it could have been, hey, Dave, just, you know, hey, pick up the ark, put a foot in the river, I'll split it. Thanks. We're going to build some rafts. Because that's the way you get across the river. And then we would have got across the river, like, okay, we're going to, get it. We're going to create a decoy over here, so that we can draw the people of Jericho out from this big walled city. And when we get them out, then we can ambush them, and I mean, the last thing I'd have done is went and walked around that city seven times, you know, banging our pots and pans together. I would, right? You would have said, no way, that's absolutely insane. But at some point, we have to allow a prophetic word for God to come through. Like, here's some crazy advice that I got when I was a young pastor. We were building a building in my last congregation, right? We we built a we built a worship center. And um and so we're, we're building this. The, the church is booming. Things are going well. But, you know, I've, I've, I've not done that before. So I'm, I'm trying to talk to people who have gone before. Right? So I talk to somebody. They're like, oh, use this company to raise money. And, 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 and get these architects. And, and get these builders. And da, 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 da. And do this and, this and this and this and this. And then one pastor says to me, well, here's the only word of advice I have for you: Plan out 85 to 90% of it. And then leave the rest of it to God. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, you know, I mean, secure, you can at least get the cement and the block. But then leave the rest of it to God. Don't plan. Don't plan in your budget for everything to be covered. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. He said, you have to plan for the miraculous. And we never do that in our strategic planning. Man, in all of our planning, right, we dot every I, we cross every T, we make sure that, that we're in total control and, and we make sure that we can stay the path and we make sure that we can, when it's like if we never leave room for God to move, we limit ourselves. It's like we have to take the time to hear from God in the good times and in the bad times, when it's calm, when it's stormy, when the sailing is smooth and when there is a shipwreck coming. Paul continues to leave space in the journey to hear a word from God about what they should do. So so another thing, right? Third thing that, that Paul does, I think that helps him along this journey and helps him through stormy times is he focuses on God's purpose in every link of the journey. Paul continued to focus on his purpose even in the midst of the storm. And, and, you know, Paul Paul actually testifies in chapter 26 when he's talking to King Festus. Paul actually testifies, I've always been a person of purpose. So once Jesus gave me my purpose, man, I never deterred from it. I mean, that's what he says. He says it in chapter 26, verse 19. He says, I have not been disobedient to the vision that God gave me from the start. Man, I mean, the minute that Jesus knocked me off that donkey on the road to Damascus, I have been faithful to what he's told me to do. Man, I got up off the road. I went to Straight Street. Ananias came. Ananias gave me my sight back. I went to the Jerusalem Council. They sent me away for nine years. I stayed faithful. I stayed on my purpose. You know what I did those nine years they sent me away? I started churches. A revival broke out. I mean, mean, when, when Paul's telling King Festus the story of how dedicated he is to the purpose, King Festus is thinking, the only reason you're even imprisoned is because this is your choice. You have declared you want your trial before Caesar. You could walk away free. Paul, you are crazy. That's what it says in verse 22. King Festus thought he was out of his mind because how focused he was on his purpose. But man, his dedication to Christ, man, it made no sense to King Festus, but, but Paul was dedicated. You know, we have to focus on God's purpose because plans can easily go awry in life. And you know what Paul's purpose was? Paul's purpose was the same as as your purpose and my purpose. Paul's purpose was to be Jesus' representative wherever he was. He's just going to rep Christ wherever it is that he was. So he's on the boat. He's in the middle of the storm. It wasn't his advice to the, to the centurion and to the, to the pilot and to the owner, but nevertheless, that's where he's at. And you know what he does? He doesn't get mad. He doesn't say, I told you so. If we would have done it the way I want, He doesn't do any of that. You know what he does? He reps Jesus. And, and look at the symbolism that's wrapped up in him repping Jesus. One of the things was, was he declared the words of God. He spoke the truth in the middle of difficult times. We read all the time about Jesus speaking truth, right? In kindness and in love. Jesus is, is he's the way. He is the truth. He's the life. I mean, Paul is speaking truth in the midst of everything that's happened around. And then Paul says, you guys haven't eaten in in days. And then watch the imagery. It says, Paul takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he hands it out to the men. Who does that sound like? Who do we know did that over and over and over again on his journey? Well, he did it when the, at the feeding of the 4,000 and he did it at the feeding of the 5,000 and even at the Last Supper, he took the, took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it. Right? I mean, make the, he's fulfilled. He's repping Jesus in the midst of that. I'm gonna feed your soul and I'm gonna feed your physically. I mean, even when he lands on the island, right? Even when he gets to Malta, you gotta talk about some big imagery here. What happens to him? He's gathering firewood for the fire and a viper attaches itself to his forearm. And I mean, a poisonous viper to where everybody thought he was gonna die. And that even sounds like, are you with me? Genesis chapter three, where, where God is telling the serpent, you're gonna strike his heel, but he'll crush your head. I mean, there's all sorts of imagery throughout this story where Paul is staying on his purpose. Man, wherever he was and wherever the plan took him and whatever detour happened and whatever storm came and whatever ship busted apart and whatever island he ended up on and whoever held him captive, he just stuck to his purpose. He was just gonna rep Jesus. He's gonna rep Jesus in the middle of all of that. You know, it's so easy to get sidetracked in life. Isn't that true? I mean, it's just so easy to say, here's my plan and here's what's supposed to, and then it doesn't happen. I mean, I can look back over my life and I go, you know, that wasn't in my plan and, and this wasn't in my plan and, and I mean, the pastor in here wasn't in my plan and pastor in my last church wasn't in my plan and, and, and that was not, I'm, that was not supposed to happen to us. I mean, there's so many times you can look back and the plan gets sidetracked. It's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to get sidetracked from God's purposes when our plans get sidetracked. And we're there and we're asking God, God, what's happening? What are you doing? This isn't according to the plan. God, what's going on? How come you're not delivering for us? What are you doing? And we begin to question God. Like God, what's, hey, hey, this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what's supposed to be happening and and this is what's supposed to be taking place and these things are not supposed to happen. Think about Paul. Paul's been on this journey to Rome for two years. Two years. And, and on this journey to Rome, right, on this journey to Rome, he became a prisoner. Multiple times people tried to kill him. He ends up in a shipwreck. He washes ashore on Malta, which wasn't on the, on the itinerary. He is bitten by a snake. He is chained to a Roman guard over and over and over again, But Paul still fulfilled his purpose wherever he was. And you know where Paul ended up? Do you know where Paul ended up in the very next chapter? He ended up in Rome. I mean, it wasn't a straight line, it didn't go according to the strategic plan. But I mean, Paul still ended up in Rome. And you know what that was? That was an answer of prayer for Paul. Romans 15, 31 and 32, he's telling, he writes a letter to the Romans, right? And he's telling them, I want you to pray for these things. Pray that I'm able to be kept safe from the unbelievers that are surrounding me. Right and well, he's he's obviously making it through safe. He said, "Pray that I can have favor from the council," and he's got favor from the council. And he says, "So that I may come to join you." And all of this was an answer to his prayer. You know, prayer is the glorious opportunity to ask God the what in our purpose. And what's my purpose, God? It's a glorious opportunity to seek Him for the what. But God always reserves the right to determine the how. This is how. You know, the final, final thing that, that Paul did along this journey is that he rested in God's promises. The only, the only place of stability on Paul's journey was faith. There was nothing else about this whole journey that was stable for Paul. It was just his faith. The Jewish courts weren't 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 stable because I mean they were out to get him and, and the Roman guards they weren't stable because you know you know who knows whose side they were on, and, and the land wasn't stable. He wasn't even on the land any longer. And and the ship isn't stable because the ship completely blew apart and fell apart. The sea wasn't stable because the sea was storming and the sailors weren't stable because they wanted to throw him overboard with all the other prisoners in the midst of the storm. I mean, the only place of stability for Paul in this journey was his. Faith. And and Paul kept his faith. And he was able to have a different perspective about everything that happened. Somehow, Paul was able to see the beach no matter where he was because of his faith. You know, so many times in life, right, something happens to us, and then our emotions go up or our emotions go down. And I mean, man, when we start becoming emotional, what what I mean, just good things don't come from that when we start becoming emotional. And we see, we see this exactly on Malta. We see what happens to the people on Malta in and, 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 and chapter 28 when they land, right? And Paul goes over to get the firewood to help with the fire. He goes over to get the firewood, and what happens? The viper pops out and attaches himself to, to Paul's forearm. Boop, there goes the viper. What did everybody say that was with them? You know what they said? <gasps> Paul must be a murderer. Look this up. It's true. It's in in, in 28 verses three and four. Paul must be a murderer for the God of justice is striking him dead. Paul must be a murderer. My goodness, look at this. God's getting him. He's getting what he deserves, whatever it is. We don't know what it is, but it has to be really bad if this viper got him. So God's out to get him because of what he did. and, And then of course, you know what happened after a little while. He shakes off the viper. The bite doesn't swell up. His arm doesn't swell up. It doesn't bother him at all. He goes about collecting wood. He goes about putting the wood in the fire. He, he probably gets out some hot dogs, some buns, right? He's saying, hey, passing out sticks after he sharpens them so everybody can, right? He's probably got s'mores somewhere. He's putting s'mores together for everybody to, he doesn't get sick. Then all of a sudden, everybody goes, he didn't get sick. He must be a God. Do you see the journey they took? All because of circumstances. Like there's one circumstance, boom, and it's like, oh no, this is terrible. Man, God is out to get him. And then the next minute he didn't get hurt. Oh, he must be a God himself. How many times do we do that to ourselves in life? Something bad happens, and we're like, oh, God's out to get me. I don't know what I did. I don't know why I made God so angry. I don't understand why. And then something good happens. Woo, man, I tell you, God is good. Man, it's absolutely excellent. I'm so glad God is so kind, and he's so... And then something bad happens. Oh, man, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know why God's out to get me. And then something good happens. And I said, can I tell you, that is horrible theology. That's a horrible way to think, and it is a miserable way to live. Going up and down and up and down with every wave blown on the sand. I mean, Paul just simply rested on the promise of God. God said to Paul, We're going to Rome. When Paul got arrested, Man, Paul said, God said, we're going to Rome. Man, when Paul got, got, got chained to a Roman guard, it's like, hey, we're going to Rome. When they tried to kill him, well, God said, I'm going to Rome. Man, when they put him on this ship in, 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 in a terrible time of year, he's like, "Ah, yeah, it doesn't matter, we're going to Rome. When the ship is like rocking and rolling in the storm, Paul's like, I'm going to Rome. Man, I mean, the whole time along the way, when the ship busts apart, God says, don't worry about it, Paul we're going to Rome. When he lands on Malta, don't give it a thought, Paul, we're going to Rome. When the viper hits his arm, oh no. Hey, Paul, don't even give it a thought. We're going to Rome. We are going to Rome. And Paul rested on that promise. Now, now I want to say this to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, like if you, man, if you have accepted his goodness to you, Right, if you know that you're a follower and you're a believer and you've received what he has for you, you know where you're going. He's already told you it's not a secret. It doesn't matter what happens or where this life takes you, right? It doesn't matter what circumstances come up against you because God is saying, hey, we're going to. There's no reason to be up and to be down and to be up and to be down. Man, we're going to. Here's our destination that hasn't changed. Let say Paul can write words like this. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. Now, now I don't know. I don't know where you're at on the journey. Like, I don't know if you're standing there saying, no, 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 we shouldn't get on that ship. I don't know if you're on that ship and you're like, oh no, here comes a storm. I don't know if the storm's rocking and rolling the boat. I don't know if the boat's blown apart and you're hanging onto a piece of driftwood trying to make it to shore. I don't know if you're on the island. I don't know if the viper's hanging off your arm. I don't know. But how are you doing on that, Johnny? Like, are are you trusting God? Are you trusting Him along the way to deliver you to the promised destination? With whatever happens in life, are you just like, hey, I'm sticking to the purpose? I'm on this. I'm just like, like, I'm on this purpose. You know? Are you repping Jesus in the midst of whatever's happening? Because all of that is an incredible witness of God's goodness and grace to the people that surround you. You need not fear. God is with you. No matter how big the storm is, no matter how scary the outlook is, he is with you. Jesus, I praise you. I thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, I pray for each, every one of us as we're like, as we're like traveling through this life. Lord, storms will come. Sometimes the ship will break apart. Sometimes we'll not know how we're gonna get from one point to the other, but you are always faithful. That's why we're here this morning, Lord. We're not here because we're smart. We're not here because we're so gifted. We're here because you are gracious to us. We're here because you've continued to breathe the breath of life. Into us. We're here, Lord, because you have provided. And no matter what the enemy would tell us, no matter our own concerns or doubt, you are faithful. Jesus, help us to embrace that, help us to live into that, and help us to continue to rep you in all of those circumstances. Now, Lord, in response to your goodness and grace, in obedience to your commands to us, continuing to focus on the purpose you have for us in life, we partner with you. We partner with you in word, we partner with you in thought, we even partner with you in resources. We have nothing that you have not given to us. So Lord, in obedience, receive back what it is if you've asked us to give. And Lord, let us collectively use it to spread your love and your goodness into our community. We praise you, Jesus, and we thank you. We pray this in your name, amen.